Thank you for listening to this message from Southridge Community Church, located in Clinton, New Jersey. We hope God speaks to you through this message today and that you find new ways to apply His Word to your life. Additional messages and more information can be found on southridgecc.org. So let's get started. A recent study at the uh, University of York found that not surprisingly, people are drawn to things labeled new. Uh, You probably know that from walking through the aisles of a grocery store or through the aisles of of some other kind of store. But if if a label new and improved is put on an item, it automatically generates interest. It automatically generates a sense of wondering how that's going to work. Even when there were the placebo effect was taken into account, people just naturally thought even a placebo situation where something was labeled new and improved, neither had no difference in ingredients or whatever to the old thing, people naturally were drawn and gravitated to and thought the new and improved worked better. It's just the way that we often approach things. Rather than maybe valuing something that might be long-standing, traditional, has worked for a very long time, we're naturally drawn to that which is new and improved. This morning, we're going to be talking about the church. Uh, The church is something that I would have to say is not new and improved. Jesus founded the church 2,000 years ago, When he said, I will build my church, I will build my gathering of people, and the gates of hell or the gates of death will not prevail against it. There's nothing new and improved about the church. The roots of the church go way back thousands of years to when Jesus founded it. And in many ways, our culture would look at the church and say that it's floundering, that it's weak. And yet, the power of God, the design of God is still at work in the church. Uh, We're going to take a one-week break this week and dive into that. Last week, we finished our question series. Uh, Next Sunday, we launch into a new series based on the life of Elijah. We're looking forward to that. Uh, But for this Sunday, uh, we are diving in to what God established, the church. We're combining that with the celebrating our volunteers. Uh, Many of you are maybe new to Southridge as well. And so we're going to take some time to simply point out some core foundations of who we are as a church and what God's vision is for the church at large. Right away, when I say the word church, maybe different ideas come to mind different perspectives. Uh, We're going to be looking at a number of passages in a little bit in the book of Ephesus, but simply the name Ephesus actually highlights one of my, kind of my favorite things in the Bible when it comes to understanding what the church is. Uh, The Greek word that's translated that is the word ekklesia. Ekklesia, sometimes it's with two C's rather than K. Ekklesia, and that's basically the word that we think of when we think of church. Fascinating thing is, 
in the ancient times, the word ecclesia was not simply a religious kind of word. As I mentioned to you, my mind is drawn to this because we're going to be looking at some passages in Ephesians in just a bit. But in Acts chapter 19, we find that Paul is actually in the city of Ephesus. Eventually, he writes the letter of Ephesians to the people of Ephesus. But in the city of Ephesus, there's this gigantic temple to the goddess Artemis or the goddess Diana. And the city culture revolved around the worship of this goddess Artemis. The economic fabric of the community related to, to the worship of this goddess. And Paul came into emphasis and basically said this. He says, there are not gods made with human hands. Well, there were silversmiths and other folks in the city of Ephesus that were highly invested in making gods as people traveled to Ephesus to visit the, temp the great temple of Artemis. And so when Paul was saying this, it was a direct contradiction to sort of the fabric and even the economic culture of the city of Ephesus. Well, it got so nasty when Paul was saying these things that people started to riot. They actually gathered together. The language that Acts chapter 19 set uses is that people were furious with Paul. They were angry. They were mad. And so a mob formed, and Paul was literally in danger of being beaten and torn limb from limb. What's fascinating, it's always fascinating to me, is the, the mob that gathered in Ephesus to riot and to combat Paul is actually termed ecclesia. It's gathering of people. It's assembly of people. And so in our situation, we think of ecclesia as being primarily, primarily religious. In ancient times, ecclesia was just a generic term for gathering of people, people who came together. And so this mob in Ephesus that was going to try to destroy Paul was literally an ecclesia. It was a gathering of people. Well, Jesus speaks into that and he says, I'm going to create my gathering of people. I'm going to create my ecclesia. Those people who are followers of me, those people who give themselves to the purposes of God in this world, that's my church, that's my assembly, that's my gathering of people. When we think of church, we may think of a building that we go to, we go to the church. We may think of gathering times. We go to church at maybe 9 or 1045. We may think of an institution we give to the church. But in Jesus' mind, church is simply his gathering of people, his assembly of people, those who are gathered together in his name. We're going to take a fairly a brief flyover this morning of a number of passages in Ephesians, chap in, in Ephesians over a number of chapters, and we'll move fairly quickly, but we're going to look at three different anchor points that Paul gives to the people of Ephesus, three different anchor points as to who they're to be, and I think these anchor points that Paul gives to the people in Ephesus also apply to us today. First anchor point that Paul gives is simply this. 
The church has everything to do with God's glorious grace. Everything to do with God's glorious grace. The church is God-centric. It has everything to do with its glorious grace. Let me read verses 3 through 10. So it's going to be a number of verses, but, but kind of lean in here as I read these words and just be overwhelmed with the glorious grace of God, so, sort of the height of who God is and who he's called us to be. He says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. To the praise, and here's to the praise of his glorious grace, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given to us and the one he loves, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace. There it is, the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. Right in the middle of that, Paul talks about his glorious grace. He talks about the riches of God's grace. Uh, we won't get at our big timeline this morning, but just to draw very kind of in a condensed way, in those few verses, Paul talks about the fact that this gathering of God's people, this assembly of God's people, God planned even before creation from the beginning of time. That this wasn't an afterthought in God's mind. That even before creation, it says there early on, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world. The church is not a modern idea. No matter how much it might fold or no matter how much it might fumble the ball, it was in the mind of God from before creation. And then Paul says this, to be put into effect when times reach their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. Paul says to these people in Ephesus, look, God had you in mind from before creation and you're going to be in, into effect when God brings all things to conclusion in the history of the world, when he brings all things to fulfillment, when he brings all things to restoration, when he brings all things to the recreation of heaven and earth, he says, it spans this whole chasm of time. Friends, here's the deal. Man, when I think about that, I'm just like overwhelmed with the beauty and wonder and the gloriousness of God's plan. When you read scripture, one thing I often mention it's helpful to do is, is kind of use your imagination, not to invent truth, but to place yourself into the situation of the original listeners. Uh, the city of Ephesus, there'll be a little map on the screens, was actually a very prominent city in Asia Minor, which is now modern-day Turkey. It was a fairly significant city, was probably the most powerful city in Western Asia Minor, had a river that flowed from it into the Aegean Sea, so it was a significant 
trade route. Uh, there was a lot of commercial activity in and around it. As I mentioned earlier, it had one of the most impressive civic monuments of that day. In fact, it was actually one of the seven wonders of the world, uh, the temple to the goddess Diana or the goddess Artemis. Um, we read in Acts chapter 19 of a theater that was involved in this rioting mob. Uh, we also know that the, there was a theater that had 25,000 seats. So Ephesus was an incredibly important city, educationally, economically, politically, religiously. It was involved in the fabric of the world. And I imagine the people of Ephesus saying, gosh, like, here we are. We're just followers of Jesus. We're kind of detached from the engines of economic power. We're kind of detached from the powers of political office. We don't have all of the economic powers that the rest of the world has at its disposal. I guess we're just a fledgling group of nothings. And Paul was saying, no. Sometimes even in our own world, we can kind of feel maybe the church is peripheral. And once in a while, I read something about you know, some scholar somewhere saying, you know, maybe the church has outlived its time. Listen, friends, the church is God's idea. He had that idea even before the creation of the world. Someday he's going to bring all things to reconciliation and restoration, and it's going to be his purposes that he has in mind. No matter how peripheral the church may seem to our culture, maybe no matter how detached we might seem or disconnected from the powers that be, economically, politically, whatever kind of higher levels of influence we think might be at work in our world, listen, friends, the church is the place of God's glorious grace. His glorious grace is at work. His purposes are being accomplished the people he has redeemed come together. He is at work. Everything that we do, we do for the one and almighty, infinite and glorious God. We sing to the infinite and glorious God. We read scripture revealed by the infinite and glorious God. When we give financially, we give to the infinite and glorious God. When we serve, we serve the infinite and glorious God. We go to work as an opportunity from the infinite and glorious God. We enjoy pleasure and recreation as a gift from the infinite and glorious God. We eat, enjoy food to get energy to live life in the presence of the infinite and glorious God. Listen, friends, the church is here because of the infinite and glorious God. And as we live life seven days a week, we do life in the presence of the infinite and glorious God. When we gather together, we do so to worship, orient our minds, our hearts, our souls, our bodies to the infinite and glorious God. It's about the church is God-centric. The church is not to be measured by its political power, its economic power, whatever other influence our world may value. It's not to be measured by that. It's measured by God's glorious grace.
And his glorious grace is at work in our world and continues to be so. That's one of the anchor points that Paul gives to the people of Ephesus. You are here because of his glorious grace. No matter which leader falls, no matter which ministry stumbles, God's work will continue because it's an expression of his glorious grace. Second anchor that we find in Ephesians Another two words that flow directly from some verses is in Christ. Glorious grace and in Christ. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 10. Here's what it says. And maybe you want to kind of click this off in your fingers. The number of times that in him or in Christ are mentioned in these verses. Here's what it says. Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. There's three right there in that one short verse. Let me just read that again. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Six times in those verses, Paul mentions, you are in Christ, you are with Christ, you are in Christ, you are with Christ. What Paul is making clear is simply this, that the life that we live is not self-dependent, that our lives are defined by being in Christ. Our lives are empowered by being in Christ. That being in Christ defines who we are. It's the central defining thing in our lives. Here's some thoughts that you might want to kind of have resonate in your mind. We are not our behaviors. We are in Christ. We are not our missed opportunities. We are in Christ. We are not our inadequacies. We are in Christ. We are not our powerlessness. We are in Christ. We are not our deficiencies. We are not our depression. We are not our personal identities. We are in Christ. We are not our fears. We are not our failures. We are not what we lack. We are in Christ. We are not our incompleteness. We are not our defectiveness. We are not our shortcomings. We are in Christ. We are not our flaws. We are not our anxiety. We are in Christ. Listen, friends, we may have struggles with many of those things, things like depression, fear, anxiety, failure, things that maybe in our past haunt us. We are not any of those things. Our identity is not attached to any of those things. We are in Christ, which simply means this. Every one of us walks as a son and daughter of God through faith in Christ. Man, Paul was saying to this to the people of Ephesus, saying you may see powerful people around you. You may feel a sense of being diminished. But number one, you are here because of the glorious grace of God. 
what God is presently doing, he envisioned from before creation. He will bring to completion at the end of times, at the restoration and recreation of all things. And right now, you are living in his glorious grace. Do so with a God-centered life. And then he's also saying, no matter how alone or sabotaged or deficient you may feel, you are in Christ. That's your identity. That's who you are. You are united to him. You are in Christ. I don't know what your story is this morning, friends, but I can tell you, every one of us, every single one of us needs to be rooted and grounded in Christ. You are raised to life in Christ. His life, his power, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is at work in your life. You are in Christ. Thirdly, there's the third anchor. We're in his glorious grace. We're in Christ. Lastly, we're also built together. We're built together. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 through 22. Here's what he says. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him too, and in him, you two are here it is being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for the works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of God. Paul casts this vision for the people of Ephesus, and he says, number one, you are, you are standing in God's glorious grace. You are not gathered here simply as a sociological structure. You are rooted and grounded. You are in the heart and the vision of God from the beginning of time. It will come to the end as well. You stand in his glorious grace. You are also in him. You are not your own identity. You are in him. You are with him. His power is in you through the Holy Spirit. And then he also says that the church is built together. That as we come together and serve and love one another, we are built up together to become this house, this temple, this dwelling in which God lives by his Holy Spirit. One of the ways that we do that is we serve one another. Now listen, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, we are God's church wherever we go. We belong to him. We're his, we're, we are his people, his assembly. And then we gather together here on Sunday mornings. We gather together in groups during the week. We gather together in fellowship with one another at various times. But on Sunday mornings particularly, we gather here and we serve and we love one another. We walk with one another as we are, as we 
are built into who God desires for us to be. The Spirit of God is at work shaping and forming and grounding and rooting us in God's truth. Together, we extend God's love. You know, it's been a season for all churches, and here at Southridge is certainly no exception. You know, COVID was a significant interruption in all of our lives. And since COVID, as we kind of gather back and things kind of get back to normal, we are thankful for many people who are walking through the doors of Southridge for the first time, many exploring God for the first time, many trying to figure out what scripture has to say about life for the first time. And what a beautiful thing it is when, whether we've been here one day or 50 years or 60 years, that we serve one another. It's what the church is to be, a place where we serve one another. And maybe God is prompting you and your spirit to pursue service to this body. I can think of just no better privilege than being used by God to walk with others as God's life, as his truth, as who he is, is shaped and formed in their lives. And so maybe it's an SR kids, maybe it's an SR students, maybe it's a life group leader, maybe it's ushers, greeters, maybe it's tech or sound or stage or, I don't know, whatever it is. Maybe God's prompting you in your spirit to, hey, like take a step and, and serve. We've actually worked pretty hard as a team to kind of streamline our whole volunteering and service process. You can click any of the, you can go on, uh, op, on our webpage, click on opportunities and find a serve card there. We encourage you to check that out. Just explore some areas where God might be prompting you to serve. Not because you're an expert Christian, not because you're an expert follower of Jesus, but just because if God's Holy Spirit is in you, he's empowered you to shape and form and serve and love others. Now, this morning, we're actually celebrating our volunteers here at Southridge because every Sunday and throughout the week, we have met so many people who give up their time, who pour themselves in, who invest themselves so that we are served and strengthened and built up. And so we want to thank our volunteers this morning for being used by God, being accessible to God's Holy Spirit to shape our lives. And I want to encourage you again to, to consider serving. I often think about this. I, I'm not a runner, but I run periodically because I got to get some exercise. But, but here's why I run. It's because serving or running, I'm sorry, oxygenates your blood. It actually puts more oxygen into your bloodstream to feed all of the organs that you have and enables a healthy body if you oxygenate your blood and getting exercise, getting your pulse rate up, having your lungs work, it oxygenates your blood. And what I can tell you is serving done in Christ's name and through the presence of his Holy Spirit, it will oxygenate your blood, your spiritual blood. It just enables you and prompts you. It catalyzes dependence on him. It catalyzes you digging in. It catalyzes dependence on God's spirit. Serving oxygenates your spiritual life. It oxygenates prayer. It oxygenates dependence on the Lord. It oxygenates the love and the transforming work of God in your own life. 
Again, we're celebrating all of our volunteers this morning, but particularly we want to celebrate Dave and Elaine Nace. Uh, Dave and Elaine Nace have served in some way or another at this congregation for 50 years. So it's been quite a journey. And uh, we're going to celebrate them. I'm going to ask you to, to, to applaud them and, or just yeah, celebrate with them in a second. Yeah. Take a look at this video that tells a little bit about their story. I'm Elaine Nace, and I've been a member here at Southridge for 50 years. I'm Dave Nace, and I've been here the same amount of time. It's easy to remember because we've been married 50 years, and we got involved with Southridge right when we got married. Well, I started out with the preschool, and I was there for a couple of years with the younger children. Then I joined the missions team, which I've been a member of about 35 years. Well, second year we were here, they asked me to teach a Sunday school class, and uh, they asked me to teach a communication key to your marriage. We'd only been married a year, <laughs> but that was, uh, that was the first uh, teaching assignment I had here. That was the beginning of it. Uh, after that, I told adults uh, every year uh, since I've been here, we got involved with Navigators 2-7 Discipleship Course. And uh, so we taught that for about 10 years. And then in 2000, uh, Nathan asked me to do the Discipling by Grace, which is now uh, Gospel Transformation. And I did that for 22 years. At the same time, I was teaching uh, Sunday school classes, uh, Bible studies, and uh, or during the week I was teaching a Bible study. I was uh, Sunday school superintendent for three years. I was on the uh, elder board three different times. Uh, I was missions chairman for three years, uh, but most of the time it's just been teaching. Well, we had a number of Bible studies there at the house, and um, I think that's where we really grew, because Navigators really got you involved in, in learning different Bible verses, and of course you had your lessons to do. Then you had to participate by, you know, preparing one of the lessons and it was uh, I think it was just really a, a good way of growing. Whenever you teach you learn more than the students do. I go along with Elaine with the navigators yeah, really got us uh, grounded in our daily devotions. We started with uh, Bible reading highlights which we've continued on with the uh, core group uh, Bible and prayer. That established us uh, the habit of uh, spending time with the Lord every day, and uh, we've been able to do that for 36 years. We've been doing that. Then the gospel transformation really, really got me going uh, as far as uh, understanding God's love and uh, how the gospel applies to every day of the life. Like I said, just teaching, you learn more than uh, the students do, and uh, that was beneficial to me. When you serve, you grow and uh, gives you the opportunity of getting around other people and ministering to other people. And God uses that to change you and uh, causes you to, uh, to mature in your faith. And uh, if you see God working in the lives of other people, it's an encouragement to you. And uh, yeah, getting involved with other people enables you to uh, see God at work in lives and when you see God working in lives uh, you get excited about the gospel and about what God's doing and what God can do. Hey, why don't we thank David Lane. 
I know Dave and Elaine have deeply shaped and formed my life. They've helped me to be built up. They, their investment, and they would not want any credit for this, but their investment in this church, the Holy Spirit has enabled this church to be built up. Friends, this is what God calls, these are the anchor points. His glorious grace. We are in Christ, and we are built together. Uh, if you would like to thank Dave and Elaine, uh, there's going to be some cards out at the kiosk in the back. Feel free to stop by there, fill one out, just maybe a few words of testimonial and say thank you for Dave, to both Dave and Elaine for all of the serving that they've done in this congregation. So feel free to stop out there. Also feel free to stop out and we want to have a gathering at the uh, Rita's Ice out, the, out in the uh, driveway. So hopefully you can enjoy some of that as well. Let's stand and let's sing the song together as a, just a, a, a testimony and a statement to the work of God's grace, his glorious power in our church, in our lives. Let's sing this together. Eternal God, unchanging, mysterious and unknown. Your boundless love, unfailing grace and mercy shown bright seraphim in ceaseless flight around your glorious throne they raise their voices day and night in praise to you alone Let's sing. hallelujah Glory be to our great God. Hallelujah. Glory be to our great God. Lord, we are weak and frail. In the storm, surround us with your angels, hold us in your arms. Our cold and ruthless enemy, his pleasure is our harm. Rise up, O Lord, and he.
Thank you that we have a great God. May we as a church be mindful that we exist according to your glorious grace. May we be in Christ. May we be built together as we love and serve one another. May you be honored and glorified in it all. In the name of Jesus, our Savior, and everyone who agreed said, amen. Our prayer team will be down here to the right. Enjoy some readers when you leave, and please write a note for Dave and Elaine. God bless. Have a wonderful day.